0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. You are with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Lawson,
1: what are you thankful for this morning? Alright Lyle, we're going to play a little game. Yes. Okay, so last night. I'm going to win. Last night. Uh, yes. We had a the N. Digital Watch Party. It was a yes. COVID legal, COVID safe, the N. Digital Watch Party. It was really amazing and really awesome. And I got home from that mm. at 10 p.m. Yes. Okay. But I didn't get out of my car until 11 p.m. Mm. Why do you think? Because. It's so obvious.
0: What? You were sitting there listening to Faith FM radio. No. I, I wish I was. I'm dis. I'm. Why, why that's the only the, excuse not to get out of your car until for an hour. I'll, I'll let you know. When you pull in the drive, You know when you pull in the driveway and there's this amazing yeah, content 100%. playing on the radio
1: and you just sit there and listen to it? Well, this wasn't those circumstances. not that I wasn't listening to the radio, but, but try and take another guess. I pulled in at 10. I didn't get out of my car until 11. Why? You went to sleep at the wheel in your driveway. Yep. <laughs> 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 I, just, I literally <laughs> no pulled way. in. I pulled into the driveway. I was like, "Oh, finally, I'm home," and then just fell asleep <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> for an for an hour. That's a
0: little bit scary. <laughs> yeah, you like, only just made it by the skin of your teeth. Yeah, was, maybe you should have tired. just
1: stayed over at your friend's watch party. No, oh, well, then how would I? I could have came here from there. But like, the point is, I, I didn't so wait. The nature I wasn't sleeping while I was how roads work.
0: Roads work because they connect to each other. And you, yeah, you
1: can yeah. Get but from I wasn't. I wasn't sleeping when I was driving. I just got home, and fell asleep. <laughs> 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 so yeah. And I'm sure. Uh, what are you grateful for? I don't know. I look at some things outside, and I'm like, you might be grateful for that. Okay,
0: so I've been some things outside. Yes, yes, yes. My ute is parked outside. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's been the first time it's been parked outside for like what six weeks. Or yeah, something, something like know. that. Oh, it has a gearbox in it and your gearbox is running well. That's awesome. It's the most challenging gearbox I've ever done. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Lawson, what's uh, happening in the world of positively different news? Lyle. Yes.
1: It's happening. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Happening. So, it happens every morning. It happens all and the time. And <laughs> it's happening again this morning. All right. Researchers at the University of, uh, well, University of California, San Francisco have successfully developed a speech neuroprosthesis that has enabled a man with severe paralysis, like to the point where you can barely move, to be able to communicate in sentences, translating signals from his brain to the vocal tract Directly into words that appear on a screen. You can't be serious. No, this is like legit, Lyle. This is this is a conspiracy. You are spreading conspiracy theories. No, this theories is here the first time. This is the breakthrough, Lyle. Um, this study was headed by uh, neurosurgeon Edward Chang. He uh, works for the university as a researcher and developer and whatnot. And essentially, yeah, like uh, exactly what I said. This is how, this is how it goes out. So, well, previously, they've been able to kind of develop systems where they turn stuff into like, single letters or typing and have been able to convert some signals like that or oh, and and then like general methods at the moment is that like you know a severely paralyzed person can move you know one of their limbs just a little bit whether it be a finger or their head or something and so they attach um, a pointer to that and which you know has a sensor on it which can kind of point out the letters and they can spell out sentences but this literally translates someone's brain signals of words that they want to say into text text on a screen. That – my
0: mind is just melting out my ears right now. I'm just blown away. How does this even work? The brain is just such the most incredible organ. It is so little understood and the things Mm. it is capable of, you know, and now combining it with technology – where is our world going to be in 10 years? Where is our
1: world going to yeah. be if it lasts another 100 years from now? Yeah. This is just sensational stuff. Well, so basically they hooked, they had a, a participant um, and they trained 30 different words into their like AI system that, You know, in those thirty different words, they understood. Okay, if the brain makes this certain signal to the vocal tract, well, then they're trying to say this specific word. So they picked fifty words, words like family and water and good and things like that, and then started asking questions. And basically, they put a like a chip into this guy's like, oh, what is it it like? um, It attached to his uh, um, speech motor cortex. So in that area of the brain, they put this microchip, this electrode in there and run it out. And basically, so they start asking him questions and words started appearing on the screen. Um, and in each session, uh, they did over like 48 sessions over like several months um, trying to practice this. I um, mean, in each session, they were just gaining more and more perspective on, you know, what signals were needed to say the certain words and at the, in the beginning, like, yeah, um, they just kind of built up and built up and built up and they were trying to get it so that he could successfully say all 50 words, you know, he could come in on any given day, say all 50 words on the screen and, uh, you know, instantaneously, and then they would, you know, track and and make sure that everything's working. So this is what, this is, this is where it's at. Wow. This is amazing. So this is, yeah, just incredible work and a hunt, like Obviously, these are the kind of people, people with severe paralysis like this, they were talking about this patient himself had a stroke when he was 15 years Ooh. old and lost, you know, yeah. motor function and everything. Mm-hmm. The, the way he currently communicates is that he has a hat that has a pointer on it. And, mm. and so he can, like, spell out things if there's like words in front of him because he can barely even move his fingers. You know, this is someone who is really like disabled, really, really disabled. And obviously, you know, he still has his understanding and whatnot and still can yeah. think, but incredibly disabled. Still there. Um, but, you know, imagine like it that, this is the thing is it starts with a microchip in your speech cortex that translates speech. And it's like, okay, what, where can we put a microchip that translates movement? Sure, and then you can you know put them in a, a like a a wheelchair that is run by the brain, and then it's like oh you know we're like oh I, I'm just imagining you know the future yeah. from this this uh, technology this beginning right here is like this is the door to a, a new world for disabled people.
0: It is, it is. By the way, we had a text message come through. I don't get this text message. Okay, uh, but we've been asked a question, so we will answer it. Uh huh. Lyle and Lawson, when you drove. To work this morning, did you drive manuals or automatics? Uh, A manual. Yeah, I didn't drive to work, I walked. Yeah, but you drive a manual. I drove last night. Yeah. And then slept overnight we we had (laughs) the digital, and by the time the digital finishes and the breakfast show starts, it's like, no, I'm just going to sleep here. I drive a manual um, because I'm legit. (laughs) Okay, um, we'll see what happens. Maybe there's a there's a there's I'm sure there's a reason for this particular <laughs> this text message and
1: I'm sure we will they find out They just wanted to know. They they were just, like, they just want to the know. burning desire with them. What kind of car do you drive? That's so funny. All right. Uh, uh quickly just in a You know thought, what you know what
0: the ooh. best you want know what the best form of uh theft protection of a motor vehicle is in the United States? Yeah, it's driver manual. <laughs> like, <laughs> manual uh,
1: it's like only three percent of cars are manual and That's no right. one knows how to drive them. Uh-huh. It's so funny. All there's right so much there's so
0: much footage getting around of um, you know security cameras where thieves have jumped into oh yeah you know, or carjacked
1: a car or something rather or and then they just jump back out again because it's a manual. <laughs> Dude, that because I, I don't know what the ratio is in Australia but it would be higher than that. Oh, infinitely. Yeah,
0: yeah. Most yeah.
1: people drive manual here.
0: In, in Japan, it's like 88, percent I think,
1: drive manual. Yeah. Or Low 90s, yeah, something like that. 88. Is everyone drives manual. Good for them. All right, uh, just quickly, the University of South Carolina, the South Carolina State University, has um, cleared $10 million worth of student loan debt. Which represents, wow. So I covered a story, I believe, where I talked about how they cleared – and this was from last year, and I remember being a little bit apathetic towards the situation. I was like, oh, yeah, they cleared $700,000 worth of student debt. Um, not this particular university, but another one. I remember being like – Oh, that's cool, but that probably represents the student debt of like ten people. This is the student debt of two and a half thousand students, um, which is at hugely sizable number of of people attending the university. Um, And basically it comes from, they receive, you know, most universities, particularly a state university like this, receives money from the federal government and they had received $4 million under the Trump-enacted CARES Act and $5.8 million under the Biden-enacted American Rescue Plan. And they received this money, which they can use for whatever they want, and they were like, oh, do we need to build a new facility? Do we need to do this? Do we need to do that? And they're like, nope let's just clear student debt. So they use that that federal money uh, to just completely clear student debt. And it's really cool to be able to see the different um, testimonies that have come out from the students. You know, some students saying, I'm a first-generation college student. None of my family has ever been through this before. And now that I don't have to work three jobs and go to college at the same time just to complete the next semester is amazing. Some people were like, I wasn't even going to attend next year because of my outstanding balance. I couldn't make up. But now I can go back to college, and it's just really, really awesome. Like- It'll be interesting to see how this affects the
0: economy from the perspective of uh, the increased, you know, taxes that they'll be able to pay, and so forth as it goes forward. Yeah. Anyway, you're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay. So, computer games. Oh, nice. Can That's... they can they be addictive? Yes. Can they destroy your life? Yeah. Can they keep you up all night and you do nothing but play computer games all night? Is this something that uh, uh, people do? Mate, you're talking from? about me when I was like 15. <laughs> okay, so this is this is Lawson at 15. All right, so then uh, is that destructive on your health? Yeah. Is it destructive on your, your capacity to be able to think and react and do stuff? Yeah, well, especially if you're like super tired. Exactly. Okay, so computer back, computer games can be, you know, really, really bad for kids. And because they're addictive, uh, we have, you know, many, many people here in Australia, kids who will just literally stay up all night playing computer games. Mm-hmm. They'll be lacking sleep. They can't uh, function at school. They can't function in any kind of work. Uh, and their life gets completely taken over by computer games. And this is a worldwide phenomenon. Mm. And so China has looked at this phenomena and said, you know what, we're not going to have this in our country. We're actually going to do something about it. Parents aren't being parents, and so we will be parents for parents. Mm. And so they have placed a ban on any children under the age of 18 playing computer games between 10 at night and 8 a.m. in the morning. How do you police that? Okay, this is the question. This is where it gets really interesting. Okay, so basically uh, to be- play computer games, you've got to log in. Mm. And so you've got to have ID to log in. Ah, yeah. Right? So then if you're a kid and you have a bad parent, some kids have bad parents and some bad parents, some good parents are sometimes bad parents, Uh, but if you have a kid who has a bad parent who's like, yeah, play computer games all night with your friends, uh, you simply use your parents' login. Or if you're a bad kid, you steal your parents' login and use that. Mm. So this is what they've now come up with. Facial recognition. As soon as you log in, your login has to match your face as you're done. That's so interesting. Like, cause I, I- so, in other words, so here's what you've got the Chinese government has a camera in your home on every screen you own. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at the at the at the look on Lawson's face right now. The Chinese government has a camera in your home on every screen that you own, mm. and they can look at anything that you're doing. They can check your face, they can check your identity, and mm. know what you were up to.
1: Well, because of this practice of needing like identification to log in and different things, and that your account, it, like in the West, like you can say whatever you want on your account and you yeah, can that's right. d- play any game or whatever. But in – because I know that there are a bunch of games that, like, where it's, like, developers from the West, like Electronic Arts or something like that, they make China-specific games. Yes, because, because it's a parallel universe. Yo, There's things that are allowed and things that are not. That are not. So they, they make China-specific games that, like – kind of mirror what they have in the West, but are a little bit different. So not only so they can sell in China so that they don't offend people or whatever, like, but it's, it's from the perspective of like when it comes to online games and stuff that they have that different system of actually having your identity attached to your account. Yes. But now they're just taking it to that next level where you need to like have your face scanned. Well, here's the interesting thing because you think about it, you pick up your phone. How does your phone
0: unlock these days? Facial recognition. Facial recognition. In other words, in other words, the technology is looking at you. Yeah. Now, you know, we trust, and we're very trusting people, we -hmm. trust that, you know, they're only ever going to just sort of take that brief snap of your face, recognize you, and that's all. Mm. But how hard would it be from a technological perspective to switch on those cameras anytime you wanted to? I don't know. But I suspect it would not be that hard.
1: Yeah, particularly like it depends, like if you're on a personal computer like a pc it would be a little bit different because there's some safeguards and you can you know do your own things in terms of like cyber protection and you know like have like third parties firewalls and whatnot but in terms of like if you're playing like a playstation or something well if you're playing like, a computer game right you're playing a,
0: you know a, a, as you say a computer game and uh, you log in with your, you get your, you get
1: your parent to come and log yeah. in for you with their face mm. But then it's watching you the whole time. Yeah, but then on the other hand, like people, especially in China, they use like VPNs and different things to be able to. Oh, they'll get around it. There's, no, there's, no, there's no questions about getting around it. And
0: because there's all of these different ways of getting around it, the question that comes up in my mind is: Is there more to this technology?
1: Yeah. Well, it's just like than just helping well, kids live a better life. Well, because the standard was already like, oh yeah, you know, well, all the kids who have accounts that are, you know under 18, 10 to 6, that's when they're allowed to play. And then it's like, oh, well, that didn't work, so now we have to scan their face. And then it's like, oh, that didn't work, because well, eventually it won't. No, then, and then... Who knows what they'll yeah, come up with next? Wow. I you, think, know, you, you know kids are always going to be smarter than developers. Oh, 100%. 100% they're like, always going to find ways around. Isn't and it, that's how a lot of new technology like, is discovered. just young people like in general. like Every single piece of media that comes out with some kind of... like you know anti piracy protection within a week it's like cracked. you know this is the bizarre thing
0: i'm just gonna I'm just gonna rant for a quick second uh-huh. we treat young people like they're kind of dumb, yeah, have you ever noticed where you know you you have a church right and you have uh the adult bible study and you have the youth bible study mm. and the youth Bible study is supposed to be a somehow watered down version of the adult one because they're not ready for the adult one yet mm hmm have you ever actually stopped to think about that? That they actually, it they should be the other way around because it's,
1: young people are the ones who are leading the world in all 100. of the creation.
0: They're the bright ones. They're the smart
1: ones. Dude, As the adults who are starting to slow down. Do you hear about like these kids getting off? Like you know, they'll be they'll go for some person for cybercrime, and then they turns out to be a fifteen year old kid, and then they'll yeah. like let them off because because they're a fi- because they're a minor. <laughs> it's, it happens all the time.
0: Absolutely, it's wild. Okay. In the story, in the in the realm of wild stuff, um, Apple has just uh, rolled out some new emojis. They won't be available until the middle of next year. Um, these include the uh, the non-binary person and the pregnant man and the pregnant person. So the pregnant man is different from the pregnant person because the pregnant man has a mustache, to oh. so that you can actually make sure that they're, that they're making their point. They are driving it home. That is you need so to you need to accept this. Which is bizarre because you know even when you think about non-binary, non-binary is a term that actually has no definition mm. because there is no such thing. There's no no material meaning to it because it doesn't relate to anything that actually exists in biology. It only relates to thought processes. Yeah, so it's not actually even something that exists. Which has <laughs> created a number of different has created a number of different reactions. Uh, first of all, the pregnant man uh, emoji. Everybody's saying, well, you know, this is actually going to become the fat man emoji and it's going to be used for fat shaming
1: and <laughs> 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 you you know Lawson, you know how this emoji is going to be used, right? Or even to like to make fun of a man who's like not masculine. Yeah, that could be a bit sad. That ah uh, oh, man, why why are we why are we pandering like this who cares yeah so Just delete emojis who cares about emojis <laughs> um,
0: the comedian in the, in the US uh, and radio host Tim Tim young stated it he said he says so the trust the science crowd is very excited about the pregnant man emoji got it yeah, interesting, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> And this is the really weird world, I've said this over and over again These are the people who say, are oh, you Christians, you believe in faith You don't believe in science, it's like, no, actually we do Yeah You're the ones who believe in, well, just uh, thought
1: That's persons. so funny, yeah, trust the science Ugh. You're
0: listening to the Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different but anyway, joining us on the phone this morning is Baron Newstratton to talk about the book of Genesis. He comes on every month. Baron, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Lyle. Glad to be here.
0: We are so glad to have you here as well. And uh, last month you were uh, chatting with Sharissa, I believe. Yes. I was away, and so Sharissa was filling in for me, which was great, <laughs> and uh, talked about the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, yeah. moving on from there, we find that Abraham in the, in, in the next chapter, it's a fairly simple, straightforward chapter, but he's buying a piece of real estate. Now this is something different from yeah. Abraham because up until this point
2: he didn't really own anything, did he? No, uh, that's the thing. God had not uh, given him permission to own the land. So hence to tent, you know, he never built a house. Uh, so there was no assumption of, uh, entitlement, uh, it was to be given at a certain time when the iniquity of the Emirates would be full, uh, and that was away another 400 years thereabouts. So he had to purchase the land for the burial.
0: Right, so this is the reason that he purchases some land, was so that he could have uh, <laughs> basically a cemetery for his family.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. He, he was indicating to the people that the uh, well, he enjoyed tremendous respect. There's no question about that, and he got on with every one of them. He was obviously much revered. the uh, you know he had quite a household, you know hundreds of servants, so it was uh, a mighty prince, as the Hittites would call him. but he uh, he did not own the land, and that was really a direction of god. he 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 for his burial place, he needed to purchase it legally and correctly.
0: Now, Abraham purchases a cave um, and and uses a cave as a place of burial. There are lots of different burial traditions from around the world. Uh, Uh, Why did he choose a cave? Do Jewish people still prefer a cave today?
2: uh, Well, yes, uh, Jesus was buried in a cave because the, the one who could afford it would have a cave. The one who did not, it would be a plain burial in in the soil, which is what is normally practiced nowadays. Of course, even amongst the Jews. But if you had a cave, and and machpelah uh, means really a, a double, so it would have been double cave. If you go there to to Hebron, which is now, of course, as you know, on the West Bank of the uh, there in the Middle East. Um, so the the, the site has multiple caves. Right. And, uh,
0: yeah. So this would have then allowed for Abraham's family to have multiple burials in the one place. So it becomes a, yeah. a useful place for, as, as, a, um, as a as a as a cemetery.
2: Correct. Yeah. So, it, it is interesting that the the one that he bought is from, uh, from He oh, <laughs> he included a fair block of land. Uh, I think that's to up the price. He certainly made. Uh, made the most of it uh, as far as income was concerned. But uh, there was a parcel of land to go with it. It's not what Abraham was after, but by and large, the caves is what he preferred.
0: Now, you mentioned that these caves are in Hebron. Uh, Is this a location that people can visit? Have you been there while you were living in Israel? Um, Yeah,
2: it was not. uh, It's Muslim-controlled. It still is, of course. The Palestinians control that. Uh, although there are Israeli the settlements, of course, there's a hot spot of all sorts of strife and tension, and still is, really. Uh, at the time when I was there, no, it wasn't available for public.
0: Right. Right. Well, it would be a, certainly a uh, an interesting place to visit. Um, I've, it would. I spent just yeah. a few days in Israel. I think we spent four days in Israel, and it wasn't on our itinerary, so probably not available at that particular no. time either. But no. one of these one of these locations coming through from really very very far back in uh, the history of the Israelite people, indeed.
2: Yeah. Now,
0: Baron, the story in Genesis moves on from uh, Abraham uh, buying this cave. Of course, he, he Sarah dies and is buried in the cave, and he's still alive. He's an old man. Isaac is what's Isaac pushing thirties?
2: I think he's pushing thirties or forties. Um, yeah, more than that. He was uh, forty years old when uh, when, uh, he faced the when he faced Rebecca, or when she arrived and turned up uh, at uh, his face. So yeah, he was uh, then forty years old. So he would have been it was about 3 years between the death of his mom and uh, you know Rebecca being uh, proposed as his wife so he was 37 actually when uh, his mom died
0: so how does somebody bachelor. how does somebody as significant as Isaac because you know if Abraham is a great prince in the region then obviously yeah. his son is going to be a person of great significance as well. How does somebody yeah. of such significance and stature and standing in the community remain single until they're forty? What's going on here?
2: Yeah, well he listened to his dad, didn't he? Um, there were no girlfriends uh, that uh, to speak of, of course. The the desire of uh, of Abraham was that he would marry, of course. Uh, a believer and, and someone who would believe in the true God. Nothing like that was it Canaan or not that we have any record of other than of Isidot? The The uh, desire of Abram was that he would marry someone from his own background. And he was having family, as we know, in Upper Mesopotamia. And that's where his brother, Nahor, would have... Uh, and uh, married, uh, obviously, and uh, had a son and who had a daughter, and uh, uh, that's, the, of course, Rebecca. But I'm not sure how much, and the Bible doesn't say how well it trained that uh, Abram was with the family situation there. The fact that uh, Eliezer, his trusted servant, went up north, uh, quite blank, really. I mean, he had nothing to go on, no address, no... <laughs> You know, no, no way of catching up this family. But uh, he did so because of the prayer. It's a marvelous story, really. Mm. Uh, when you look at it, it's one of tremendous provision. I think that's the object lesson God provides, you know. And that is what Abram certainly learned. And uh, that, that, that's a beautiful story here.
0: Yes, and I see a great story of faith here as well, and a story of surrender and submission and trust, um, all of these issues combining together. I mean, if if this was you or I, Barron, uh, and, you know, my dad sent, you know, one of his employees or your dad sent an employee to a far off country because, I mean, back in those days, it was kind of like the other side of the world and says, you know, go to this far off country. Yeah. And bring back a wife for my son. I don't know how. I don't know how you or I would feel about that, Baron.
2: No, I would say thank you very much for the offer, but uh, I'll, I'll go on a trip myself, or I'll find my own way. <laughs> uh, the, the, the tradition here obviously plays a tremendous role. Uh, he trusted his dad. I mean, look at the, the chapter twenty-two. I mean, uh, he trusted his dad's Decision was the right decision. There, you know, the sacrifice. Amazing. And then he submitted. Uh, his his, his wonderful submission to his father. Again, tremendous object lesson. Uh, and, uh, yeah, um, Abram didn't want him to even go to Mesopotamia, just in case he might have taken a liking to the place. He might have met someone uh, that would be suitable, but not willing to come down to Canaan, because that was always... A bit unknown for people in upper Mesopotamia. They knew that Canaan was not exactly uh, the upper crust of society. I mean, they were degenerate in many of their habits and uh, your life would not have been certain. So it's a big decision to find someone and then who then would be willing to leave the Civilization, which was quite well developed in Upper Mesopotamia as we know, and to go to a less developed country like uh, like Canaan, even though it was next door.
0: Yes, and you know, next door is very different back then as to what next door is today. You know, when Rebecca leaves Uh, her family, she would never see her family again, Uh, and and that's a massive sacrifice for anyone to make. Uh, and yeah. so, and so, you have a story here of Abraham's faith in God. You have a story of Eliezer's faith in God. You have a story of Abraham's faith in Eliezer. You have a story of of uh, Isaac's faith in his father and in his father's yeah. servant. You have, uh, and obviously in God. And you have a story of Rebecca's faith and her trust in God. Ultimately, mm-hmm. all five of these people have to place their trust fully in God for this to be able to work.
2: And it did work because they all did. Isn't it amazing? It's a wonderful example, really. It is,
0: it is, and it shows that you know when God brings people together, that uh, that you know wonderful things can happen. And of course, it becomes a wonderful yeah. relationship that they have. You know, and there's a tremendous amount of faith there as well in the Isaac. You know, he's forty years old and he's still a single yeah. person. Um, I think yeah. I think many of us would become impatient a long way before the age yeah, of
2: forty. I know, I know, but there it is. It's
0: tradition was very strong. Okay, yeah. so Eliezer heads up to, and this is Abraham's servant. He heads up to Upper Mesopotamia. He's looking for uh, people from uh, people who are believers in God, people who have the same background that Abraham does. He knows that Abraham has some family up in that area somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. it's not like he can, you know, just shoot off a few text messages, jump on Facebook, track them down, and say, "Hey, you know, I'm heading up your way. Do you mind if I stop by?" He's just, he's just, he's just marching out of Canaan. He's taking uh, a baggage train of camels with him, and yeah. he's just going to be looking for the needle in the haystack. Yeah, that's what it
2: would appear like. But then again, the man is a good thinker, perhaps. Populations were not as dense as uh, like it is today. Uh, we don't know what sort of uh, the, the, uh, the population of that district was. We know that that wasn't district where Abram was aware his family lived. And as I said, we don't know about communications either. But he goes to the logic place, and that is the, uh, the, the a water source, because that is where the women would traditionally come uh, for the water. Uh, that was a task assigned to them. And so he, he then says his prayer, and uh, it's amazing. He approaches the right person who has the right reaction, uh, offers to uh, water for the camels as well, which is amazing, The and camels, and they would be drinking a fair bit. So that was a, a very generous gesture on her part, Eliezer, who had been with Abram for some 50 years now, would have been an old man. And uh, she kindly did that, and then he rewards her very well as well. There's jewellery involved, so uh, so much for our spend on jewellery. Uh, there it is. It, uh, he, he has jewellery for her as well. Very generously, he does reward her for her kind deed.
0: Absolutely. And when you think about what she actually does here at this particular point, it's no small thing because, yeah, sure, she uh, she lowers, lowers a bucket or whatever it was. Uh, it wouldn't have been a, a plastic bucket like we would use today, maybe made of wood, yeah. maybe even made of stone or of clay. Yeah, yeah, earthen uh,
2: vessel, yeah.
0: Yep, an earthen yeah. vessel, uh, which would have been heavy. Draws some water for Eliezer and then offers to draw water for his camels. Now he's traveled a long way. He would have a decent baggage train. There would be a number of these Mm -hmm. animals, and camels are legendary for the amount that they can drink in one go. They, you know, they just seem to store it all up in that big old hump and go forever. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. And so this was.
0: This was uh, in many ways. It was. Evidence of the character of this young lady.
2: Yes, it was. It was. It was, an, it, it was a, a very generous disposition, and Eliezer saw that, and he saw it as a sign of God. Obviously, because he prayed for this, and the reaction was there, the fulfilment was there. So he was over the moon, so to speak. This this looked like a very successful mission, uh, which uh, was uh, you know nearing completion. He, he felt he found the person.
0: Yes, and you know when he gives that jewelry that's uh, some very expensive jewelry. Now, Baron, when you'll have to pick up this story again next month?
2: Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one800 Faith FM.